قصة حياة بيضاء Young people use the term stability so often as in when a young man finishes his education, finds a job, gets a house and gets married. They call all this being stable and starting a family. Is this the short definition for social stability? Naturally, when someone feels stable, she or he try to make his or her life better, develop his or her career, income or change cars. The... نشتغل يعني في مصنع حياكة وتدريز تقريبا شدة نص خط يعني اعتبر I used to work in a factory for tailoring and beading I used to operate like five machines and I had a good income that supported my family I dreamt of having a car for my husband we needed a car and I didn't have a house this is Baida or let's call her Laila for now and later you will know how she's called both names So she's a 42-year-old mother of two from Tawirga, about 40 kilometers to the east of Misrata. Imagine the person who attains stability as we spoke earlier starts getting more enthusiastic, just find everything is gone and they're back to square one. How would that feel? How would you react if you were in his or her place? <laughs> I wanted to have a big house, like an inhabitable, hygienic one with big beds. I wanted to have big space for making my own tailoring shop. But none of this happened. The events came and I was back to square zero. The dream I had did not happen. The revolution erupted in Libya on the 17th of February 2011, and the war went on between the rebels and al-Gaddafi's regime for eight months, till the revolution was victorious. But the events were not as glorious to the citizens who found themselves victims. For instance, all people of Tawirga had to flee and were displaced around Libya. They were almost 30,000 at that time. And that's how Laila was back to square one. My family was a bit in Benghazi, a bit in Tarhuna, and a bit in Tripoli. But I live in Benghazi for over a year, a full year without an income. Our pension was in Tripoli. I had to move from Benghazi to Tripoli. My husband received a monthly pension, so I lived in Tripoli for three years. And we lived in the camps in Janzur Academy. Tell me more about life in the camp. I can't ask if it was easy because for sure living away from home is never easy, even if it's in a five-star hotel. It doesn't have to be uncomfortable, I mean, but was it an ordinary life where days just go by? Or was it challenging? Life was dreadful in Janzur camps. The place was in a big marine academy, and it was divided into offices, halls, football fields, and other departments. I was assigned an office. My family and I lived in an office for three years, myself, my husband, and our three children. There were no doors of windows, in severe heat and severe cold. No water and no electricity. We used to get water in barrels. And of course, bathrooms were shared. It was a tough life. The door was a board, a small one, and we used cloth to close it. We could not pass through it in an upright position. It was tall. What about security? Did you and your family feel safe? It was not safe at all. For three years, we lived in Janzur and we barely saw the street. We never went out. We were afraid of the surrounding environment. Assault, killing and attacking homes and families were common. 
This is how all Libyan citizens who had to flee their homes feel. They were displaced due to continuous conflict, and they now exceed 400,000 according to the UN mission in Libya. The income for Laila and her family is the monthly pension of her husband, around 400 dinars, which barely supports them to live in Tripoli. And with the price increases and dire economic situations, it gets even harder. But was getting a tiny sum of money easy for Laila? One early morning in November 2016, Laila went to the bank to withdraw the monthly pension. It was early on at the time of the events. Tough conditions and people did not receive wages. The country was in chaos. I had to leave home with the first light to get a number in the bank and stand among the crowds there. There were two lines, one for men and one for women. There were about 10 women ahead of me in the line. Men had an argument with the security guard who in turn fired some shot. And one shot went into the wall and bounced back into my face. I did not feel the shot in the beginning. Then women told me, blood, blood, but I did not feel it dripping. They took me inside and did some first aid. They told me to go to the hospital. But I said that I can't and I have to get the pension I came for. How could I even pay for the hospital if I don't have it? The bank manager told me he does not want to pay for any medical expenses, and the other guard said the same. I went to the hospital after I got the pension money. The hospital told me to go to the police station and file a complaint. I went to the police, and they came with me to the bank asking for medical expenses on my behalf. The manager and guard said again that they can't give me anything. The good thing is that the police went to the bank with Laila and asked the manager and the security person to pay for her medical expenses. But when the law enforcement is not strong enough, it becomes hard to take one's rights by law. Of course, the bank manager and his armed security refused and only offered to give Laila the 400 dinars pension money. I spent those 400 dinars on some x-rays. I had an x-ray for my skull to check where the bullet is. And of course, the pension money was not enough. Who paid then? I needed three months of physiotherapy and had an x-ray for 150 dinars. I used to search for some jobs and thought that my husband's pension would be of no additional support. But this bullet was a setback. No support, no medical expenses and no scans. It was a miserable situation. On top of all that, I was displaced. I complete misery. I felt like I was back at square zero. The psychological impact of such situation is hard for anyone. I was mentally and psychologically wrecked. I decided never to go to the bank again. I was afraid something might happen again. I was shot, so why should I go again? After what happened to Lila in the bank, she decided never to go back again to withdraw the pension money and looked for any other work to make some money for living. I started searching for alternatives to face those hardships. I tried and tried with no gain. I ended up working as a cleaning staff for 400 dinars. But this was not enough. Such sum cannot pay for a machine or feed my children. I kept trying with no gain. I could not even get a machine. On the 3rd of June 2018, a glimpse of hope appeared to the people of Tawirga who longed to live in peace. Praise to God our Lord and peace be upon our Prophet Muhammad. In such crucial time, the good of our nation necessitates unity, putting an end to disputes 
and the return of the displaced to their homes and lands. Today, thanks to God, we concluded the, and signed their reconciliation charter between the people of Misrata and the people of Tawirga, and we welcome all the people of Tawirga back to their homes from this moment. This is a summary for the chapter between the two fighting sides, the highlight of which is allowing the people of Tawirga to go back to their homes, lands, and live in peace, as the unity of Libya is, above all, the sole way towards stability. We were happy with this reconciliation. We did not believe in the beginning when we watched the news on TV. We were very happy with the reconciliation between Musrata and Tawirga. The people of Tawirga finally had the right to go back to their homes. We packed our clothes right away and hit the road among a caravan of 15 families, plus ours making it 16. We were back home after nine years of displacement, living in camps with no water or electricity. Going back home is much better than the displacement, cruelty, assault and injustice. The reconciliation brought us great joy and made us go back to our beloved Tawirga. I visited Tawirga multiple times later and was saddened to see the huge damage, especially the homes of the people which became uninhabitable. Laila and her family were not happy and rushed back to their home only to find it damaged and not fit to live in. And I was curious to know where Laila and other families spent the night when they found their homes damaged. After we came back, we lived in camps, in a school. Tough life in shared bathrooms, not like our home. No electricity and no water either. It was a slow death. The basics of life were not available. And we were scared a little. It was very quiet. And I feared for my daughters to be assaulted. Fifteen families in such a huge area is very few people. And that's how Laila and her family fled. But obviously going back is not enough for Laila to heal. The city was a ghost town for seven years. And there are no means of living there anymore, no state entities, and this affected Laila very much. Life here is cruel and it impacted my well-being. No income, no jobs, and all government institutions are closed. What could we do for a living? This brought me down, it wrecked me. A very good thing to come out of the reconciliation committees regarding Tawirga and Musrata was establishing entities to support war victims. They agreed to establish two centers for social and psychological support, and one of them was already opened in the area of Tamina, where most of the war victims from Misrata lived. And given the area's location between Tawirga and Misrata, it would serve people from Tawirga till a center is open there in the future. Laila knew about Tamina's center from her siblings who participated in its program. <laughs> I refused in the beginning. They kept nagging and told me I would feel much better when I go there. I went and I didn't at first. I didn't like it there. Other girls wanted Tamina, but I was scared and confused. The main mission of the center is to help people of Misrata to think about what they considered unfair for them and help people of Tawirga to get over their fear from people of Misrata. And by the time things will go back to normal, social connections will be restored and peace will be attained. I was scared on the first day, encouraged on the second, and by the third day, I loved the girls there. Fourth day came and I was already attached to them. The ice was broken and fear went away. I found cheerful faces and kind hearts. The center also provides courses for children and young people about settling in and blending in. 
Children get support as well. They provide a five-day course for the age groups 5 to 9, 9 to 12, 12 to 15, and 15 to 20. It was a great course. Through the psychological support programs, the center also tries to create initiatives in entrepreneurship funded by both sides of the conflict. These are very kind people, and we collaborate in business as well. They gave me a sewing machine, and I started to sell products and sweets in Tawirga. I also could sell some clothes. It was very good to collaborate with Tamina girls. But Laila's problems go way before the revolution in Libya, and can be traced back to her childhood, especially in prep school. When I went to school, kids heard my name and used to say how my name is Beda, white, while I am dark-skinned. I lost confidence and felt sad. I didn't want to go to school for this reason. I started saying that my name is Laila and wrote it down in my notebooks. My teachers got confused when they started marking my papers. They asked why and told them the reason and asked them to call me Laila. Inside school, I was Baida and outside, I was Laila. Our heroine lost confidence as she was extensively mocked by other students and she decided to change her name to Laila thinking it means something about night and darkness given her dark skin color. Her official documents still have the name Beda, but everybody calls her Laila till the day came when she restored her self-confidence. When I started counseling, I insisted to be called Laila, but after I met the girl in Tamina, I wrote down my name as Baida. They were confused at first and asked about it, and I said that I became confident enough to write my real name. I am not embarrassed anymore. And there are the main events that Laila has been through all her life. And thanks to the psychological support programs, her life started to change to the better and she regained her confidence. And more importantly, she became more capable of bringing stability to her family. So I lived in the camp and got the machine. I started working and could provide such income. People in the camp needed such service. But the space was very, very tiny in here and I wanted to settle and have a place for my own work. So I moved back to my house. Was it inhabitable? No, it was made into a parking lot. I made the needed maintenance and now I have a home to live in. I used my husband's pension to build the house and live from the income of the sewing machine. I made it in two places, one with a bathroom and a kitchen, and I thought it will have a room to live and to sew. I make stuff like linens, clothes and such things. And I make enough money now. The land is mine and I am now settled and comfortable. My name is Baida Omar Suleiman and this is my story. And I am Malik Maghribi, producer and director of the episode The Story of Baida, as part of the project Female War Victims Making Peace and Reconciliation in Libya, sponsored by a grant from the Counted Foundations to Journalists in 2020. Special thanks to Kerning Cultures for supporting the production of this episode. Thanks also to Women's Peace Team in Tawirga and Misrata and Atwar Foundation for Research and Social Development. Special thanks to the team of Tamina Center for Psychological Support. And thanks to you for listening. Till we meet again.